0: But we'll be back in the book of James uh, this morning, uh, beginning the third chapter. This is uh, uh, kind of like the, the previous chapter. This is a scathing chapter that James writes. His whole book, uh, Rakes Christians Over the Coals, uh, said at the beginning of this little study through James, if James doesn't do that, there's something, something seriously wrong. Uh, with our perception of and our understanding and interpretation of james and james doesn't do it out of hate james doesn't do it because he enjoys it Uh, james is in my opinion the most practical book in all of scripture Uh, it's very easy easy to understand it's uh, easy to see how we are to walk as christians and it's easy to see what happens if we don't uh, walk as christians and that's uh, pretty much the purpose of this book yes it's to edify the church and how does it edify the church uh, and uh, it edifies the church by informing us of how we are to walk how we're to act how we're to talk and, uh, and it also edifies us in, in telling us that you know that there's there's consequences if we don't do that so and all these are for edification purposes but the third chapter of James, is much like uh, the first first two chapters we've been through. Told y'all all but the last chapter uh, can really be uh, placed into two different divisions. And this one's no different. There's, uh, there's two divisions in this chapter as well. Uh, so we'll begin with the first verse of the third chapter of James. It says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So James here begins uh, begins this chapter, this segment of his letter, his general epistle, uh, with my brethren, referring to them as brethren, referring to them as fellow believers in Christ. And he says, "Be not many masters." And y'all probably heard me quote this several times. I've quoted it a lot since I've been preaching and teaching the Word of God because there seems to be the same problem now as there was back in James' day that there's a lot of people out there that want to to exhibit that they have wisdom of some kind and they put themselves into positions of preaching and teaching without a true call of God to do so. And uh, and that that wisdom, as we'll see at the end of this chapter, maybe today, maybe not. But that wisdom uh, doesn't come from above. That wisdom comes from beneath. And uh, but James here is giving a stern warning. He says, "Be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation." Uh, what is James saying in this? He's saying, "Be not many teachers." He's saying, "Y'all need to settle down, y'all. Not everybody." is to teach and we know that from the gifts of the spirit which are listed Amen. to the corinthian church uh, not everybody's given the, the gift of preaching the gift of teaching or any of the other gifts they're dispersed by the holy spirit at, at his own will and some they're dispersed to severally some have the gift of preaching and teaching some have the gift of evangelizing and, and maybe singing or whatever the case is Uh, some may have two or three gifts of the spirit some may only have one it's at god's good pleasure through the holy spirit who gets those gifts and uh, and who is able to utilize those gifts so he's saying be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation this is really no different than jesus addressing uh, the pharisees and the scribes those that that uh, taught the Jews the law, those that uh, were supposed to be able to expound the things of the law. If you remember in John chapter 3, when Jesus is uh, speaking with Nicodemus there, and he's explaining things to Nicodemus, and he asks Nicodemus, he says, and you're a teacher of Israel, and you know not these things? and he's saying you teach all these Jews you're teaching them the law you're teaching them the things of the torah the things of the pentateuch the things of the old testament and you don't understand uh, what you're teaching and so Jesus was uh, addressed that with nicodemus here and but James goes on to say knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation why is that because we're teaching because we're teaching the word it's a it's a humble thing to stand before you all and present the word of God, whether it be in teaching or preaching. It's a humble thing, and it's a fearful thing to do so, because I will stand in account of everything that I tell you. Now, you know, do I ever slip up? Yes, I slip up. I've had I've had David in the belly of the whale. Uh, you know, it's easy to get uh, get names mixed up, especially when you're. Uh, uh, Talking about names that begin with the same letter or sound the same, or something along those lines. Well, I'll be held accountable for that. That's a simple human mistake. But if I lead you in a way that strays from the pages of Scripture, if I teach you in a way that does not concur with what the Word of God says, I will stand uh, stand and give an account for that. I will I'll give an account to Almighty God. And if I do mess up, then it is. My duty, and it's, uh, I mean, not only morally, but it's my duty to you and to God to tell you that I've messed up and to correct that. If I teach you all something uh, that is wrong, that is against what the Word of God says, I want somebody to correct me on that. I want somebody to show me that, that you know, I've, I've said it wrong, and I want them to use Scripture to show me where I'm wrong. And if that happens, then I need to repent of that. And I need to go on my way. And I believe God has forgiveness for that. Uh, where where people get in trouble with is when they're corrected, but they continue teaching in the same manner. They continue teaching the same things. There's a lot of false teachers and preachers out there right now that have been corrected over and over and over. They've been showed. They've been emailed. They've been texted. They've been called. Uh, they've been called out in public. They've been called out in private. And they continue teaching these false and pernicious ways that, that, they, that they're known for teaching. And those will be the ones that receive the greater condemnation. Why? Because they're leading thousands and tens of thousands and millions of people astray and doing that. So James says, be not many masters, and he, and he gives a warning, saying, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. For in many things we offend all. This doesn't mean that uh, uh, what, what James is getting at here is not saying that uh, in many things I, I offend you like our current uh, definition of the word offend is. He's saying in many things we cause we cause people to stumble cause people to, to, uh, to be tripped up. If, if any man offend not in word, and this word offend means the same thing as the previous, if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Well, Folks, that cuts me out, and that cuts you out. Amen. None of us are capable of that. No one sitting in this church, nobody sitting in the church across the street, no one in this neighborhood, city, state, country, or world is capable of that no one is it says if any man is able to do that to do that he is also able to bridle the whole body so in other words if if we were capable of uh, taking care of our tongue in other words if we were able to to not offend with our mouths then we we're able to bridle the entire body folks our mouth gets us in trouble Mine gets me in trouble. Yours gets you in trouble. How many of y'all have ever said something that you give your your left arm if you could just take it back? If you could go back and relive that moment in your life, you would have never said that. And when do we do that? It's usually when we're caught up in the heat of a moment, the heat of an argument when we're angry. It's when, and another thing is we've been, you know, a lot of times we've been steaming about it for a long time and we've already got it in our head what we would like to say. Every one of us have been guilty of that. And then the time comes and we let it loose. And there's been a lot of times in my life and I could look back and, and those things are painful. They're painful look and they haunt me. And as I'm sure some things that you've said or some things that you've done haunt you sometimes. We're, and. We're just, it's, we're unable to, uh, to, to do as James says here, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend on a word, the same as a perfect man. We all offend in word. We all cause others to stumble. We all cause others to trip up. And so therefore, none of us are a perfect man or a perfect woman. Mm-hmm. Says so if he's able to do this, he's able also to bridle the whole body. Could you imagine if you were able to do that though? If we were able to just tame our tongues and, and bridle our whole body, well, if that was the case, Jesus would have never had to have come and died. If we were able to do something about that ourselves. Folks, the tongue is one of the main components that, that, that sin is derived from. There's more, and, and I get so upset that so many preachers and so many teachers will address what we as human beings see as the bigger things, like homosexuality, like abortion, like murder, and all these other things. We'll we'll address what human beings see as those, but they never address the gossipers in the church. They never address the lying. They never address the deceivers. And deception, more often than not, begins with the tongue. You can deceive someone with your actions, I can pick up something and pretend I'm going to throw it at you, but not throw it. That's deceiving with an action. But more often than not, 95% of the time, deception occurs with the tongue. And and usually that deception uh, is wrapped around a lie of some kind. We might tell a half-truth, but you think about where the first half-truth is in Scripture. It was spoken by Satan himself in the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. He didn't speak complete complete lies to Eve. He told her half-truths. So if we're telling a half-truth, we're telling a complete lie. No matter how we sugarcoat it or how we want to candy-coat it for that matter, if it's a half-truth, it's a complete lie. Uh, verse three, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven to fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth." So James here gives, uh, paints a picture with words, uh, a couple of pictures actually. He says, "'We put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, "'and we turn about their whole body.'" And I've only been horseback riding one time in my entire life and I was very young when I did that. I don't know a whole lot about steering or braking or accelerating a horse. I don't, but I do know what that bit in their mouth is for and I know what the bridle is for and I know what the reins are for. We should, if nothing else, we should know that from movies uh, that we've seen over the years. But you, you figure these great big horses, I don't know if you, how many of y'all have ever seen the great big tall Clydesdale horses, beautiful creatures, but they're enormous. But you can, and and let go, if they were uh, let go wild, it's hard to tell what they could do, but you put that bit in their mouth and you put somebody on the back of that horse with the reins that knows what they're doing, they can control that horse to go where to stop where they wanted to stop, and anything else. Something that big and a little bit that they chew on in their mouth, connected to some brains, can control that huge horse. And the same picture he uh, he paints here with the ships. Now the ships of James's day weren't anything like the ships that we have nowadays. They were big, yeah, and they could uh, they could take up some space on the water. But my goodness, he didn't have these big old tankers like we have nowadays. He didn't have the, the huge naval vessels uh, that we have, that, that cu- countries around the world have now. Uh, you know, we didn't. he didn't have the big cruise ships that we have now, but they are controlled in the exact same way that James was talking about with these smaller ships of his day, with a small rudder or a small helm that's there at the back. Now granted, there's a wheel at the top, and that wheel is connected by linkage to the rudder, to uh, to the hell and that is what steers that little ship but not only does it steer a ship it also keeps the ship going straight regardless of the winds that are coming against it you can ride a you can you can force a ship straight into a storm if you want to with the winds blowing this way and the ship wanting to go this way you can steer a ship straight into that storm using that small little rudder that's on the on the back of it. And that's what James is talking about here. And he's talking. And he's comparing this with the tongue. He say he's saying, you know, our tongue. It's a small member in our mouths. It's a small member of our bodies. But my goodness, how it controls the things that we do. How it controls uh, so much of our lives and so much of your lives. And and that's the comparison that James is making. And I said James didn't didn't know anything about. The, the ships that we have now—you look at these huge tankers. Like I said uh, earlier, I read somewhere at some point that uh, that a large-sized tanker, fully loaded, weighs about 325,000 tons, fully loaded. You now, I'd like to shake the man's hand that got it to float, weighing that much. But you get that much weight on the ocean, and you—and and you would think it's just going to go where it wants to. I don't care what gets in its way, but no, it's steered in the exact same way. It's 650,000 pounds that somebody can control with a little wheel up top and a little rudder on the bottom. And our tongue is no different. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And James here making another comparison. How great a matter a little fire kindleth. How many of y'all ever built a fire outdoors? You've been camping or uh, had a weenie roast or a marshmallow roast in your backyard, whatever the case is, you don't kindle a fire from the top. You always kindle it from the bottom and it always starts small. You start with a small thing. You take a match and try and light a log on fire, chances are you ain't gonna have much of a fire. But you get a few little pine needles. You get some dried grass. You get shavings off of wood. If you've ever sat there and, and Whittle down uh, shavings off of a twig or a branch into a small pile, then you can strike a match to those, and those will catch. Then you can lay the bigger pieces on top of that, and before you know it, you've got a, a big enough fire to, to warm a dozen people that are sitting around, but it starts small. Behold, behold how great a matter, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, so so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. This is some coarse words that James speaks here. Very coarse words. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. A world of iniquity. Just our, this little member inside of our mouth. James says it's a fire and it's a world of iniquity. Now. All this being said, fire most times in scripture is used to picture destruction, picture turmoil, picture uh, desolation. You know, we think of when God rained fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. What did it do? It destroyed those cities. not only those cities, but there were a few other cities of the plain that were destroyed in that account as well. Because of fire and because of brimstone, because of God's wrath. But uh, fire is normally pictured that way. However, when you consider Acts chapter two, now I understand that everybody that was gathered there in that upper room, the the Bible does not say that they spoke with flame, uh, uh, with flaming tongues or with tongues, tongues of flames. That's not what it says. But it talks about uh, tongues of fire, or tongues of flames uh, uh, that that were present there. So that tells me that there's a flame that can be in your life that is meant for good, and there's a flame that can be in your life that is meant for bad or meant for evil. And But here he says the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. James is saying here uh, that, the, that the tongue is more, more often than not used for evil, used for bad, used for wickedness. It's a world of iniquity, according to James, not, not just not just a little bit; it's a world full of iniquity. So is the t- so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. It defileth the whole body. One little member in your mouth defiles your entire body. How can that be? Well, folks, I mean, if if I'm out here and I hear it every day, I hear it every day at my job, professing Christians that uh, you know. Bad language, and I, and I ain't just talking about profanity. I mean, I hear that too. I'm talking about just saying things that Christians shouldn't say. And once again, I ain't just talking about profanity. That's that's a huge part of what I hear. But uh, you know, downing others and and cutting others down. And listen, I, I've told y'all before, I'm I'm gifted at being a smart aleck. I really am. And God has worked on me with that uh, since I've been saved. And I, have I perfected it yet? Have I perfected the rattling of my tongue as far as that goes? Absolutely not. But uh, but I can be, and I do that sometimes. But it's people that do it on a consistent basis, not just smart-aleconists, but uh, people who are, y'all know them just as well as I do. They complain constantly or they, they down others constantly, or they better themselves above other people constantly. They say, well, I could, uh, I could do this better. He's stupid, she's stupid. Uh, you, know, this, uh, you know, I could do this ten times better. This is my idea, blah, blah, blah. We've all heard people like that. Yeah. And that is not a way for a Christian to act. Yeah. That is not a way for anybody that's professing the name of Jesus Christ and professing that they have salvation in him there's no way for them to act. There's no way for them to talk. Right. And that's why uh, James James says, the tongue is a fire in a world of iniquity. So that, uh, so the tongue among our members, that, so is the tongue among our members that defile the whole body and set on fire the course of nature. It sets on fire the very course of nature. In other words, it goes against how we should naturally be. Now, that being said, what's... The, What exactly is the natural man according to scripture? The natural man is somebody that's generally unregenerate, somebody that's not been saved. So what would James have to be talking about here uh, uh, outside of that? He'd have, have to be talking about the natural way that a regenerated person, that a saved person should be. Remember, he started this section with my brethren. He's talking to believers in Christ, when He wrote this, so He says, it sets on fire the course of nature, the the natural way that a saved individual should talk, that a saved individual should act, that a saved saved indi- individual should speak and should uh, and should help others with their voice, with their tongue. We shouldn't be cutting down other church members. We shouldn't be cutting down other churches uh, uh, or anything along those lines. Uh, according to the scripture we should be edifying one another we should be uh, helping one another and one of the one of the ways we do that uh, according to the book of colossians colossians it, it says to admonish one another with songs and hymns how do we do that with our tongues with our voices we admonish one another with our voices can we Ag somebody on, can we root for somebody or cheer somebody on to the finish line in other ways? Of course we can, but 99% of the time, it's gonna be with our tongue that we do that. And if we're a born-again Christian, we should be uh, we should be cheering on other born-again Christians as far as that goes. And, but to do the opposite of that is setting on fire the course of nature. The course of nature, according to what James says, and it is set on fire of hell. We know from James chapter one, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lies. So it's not good and perfect if it's not edifying the church. It's not good and perfect if it's if it involves cutting cutting down other Christians, uh, or you know, backbiting for that matter, gossiping about them. And every one of us has been guilty of that. I've been guilty of gossiping. And we try and sugarcoat it, don't we? We say, well now I heard. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard. And we'll try and sugarcoat it with that. I don't know if it's true or not. When we know good and well, we all just keep our mouth shut about it if we don't know if it's true or not. Amen. And I've been as guilty of that as you all have. Every one of us have, have been guilty of that in our lives. Both, whether we were saved or whether we were lost, we've been, we've been guilty of doing that. Um, but it is set, set on fire of hell. Query James, and for, uh, for every kind of beast. And of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Well, James just ain't letting up. He done slapped us around, kneed us in the gut, and let us slide down on the floor. And he's kicking us now. He just, James will not let up on this. But it's because of the importance of the matter. But you remember how this all started up. How this whole section began. Brethren, be not many masters. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And then he immediately starts talking about the tongue. He immediately starts talking about that. Remember, all this ties together uh, throughout this section of chapter 3 of James. But he's talking about all these beasts. and All these birds and uh, the snakes and the asps and the adders and fish and uh, just every every about every creature you can think of. Who'd ever thought, uh, you know, that a man could climb in a in a cage with a lion and pet it? I wouldn't do it, but man has learned to tame them. Now, granted, once in a while, those things take on their their nature. They take on uh, uh, the. The enmity that was set between man and beast when Noah and his family stepped off of the ark. Once in a while, that, that steps back in. But you know, we've all seen circus acts or uh, things along those lines where people will uh, will play with tigers and they'll pet on tigers and lions and all these other things. And and man has managed to tame some of the biggest and wildest beasts that there are. Uh, uh, James was talking a little bit earlier about the, the horse and how we're able to take these, these huge beasts and put a bit in their mouth and attach some reins to that bit and we're able to steer that beast anywhere that we want to go. Uh, uh, James has talked about that. But he says, but, no, but the tongue can no man tame. We can tame all these fierce creatures. I've seen people jump in the water with killer whales. I've seen people swim with sharks. I've seen all these things that says the tongue can no man tame. And what's so bad about that? What is so convicting about that? The tongue's attached to my body. The tongue's attached to my mind. Granted, there's nerves and there's blood vessels and there's all kinds of things that that go in between the two of them, but it's attached to my body and my mind. I should be able to tame my tongue. So James says the tongue can no man tame. Although we can tame all these other things, that's the conviction that's there. We can go out, we can take a feral cat off of the streets, one that looks like it just tear your hand off so you had nothing more than a nub. Over over a few weeks or a few months' time, we'll have that thing tamed down to where it'll let us pet it. It'll let us, not even let us scratch its belly. But the tongue can no man tame. Shame on us. Shame on us every one knows for that it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison it's unruly evil and full of deadly poison what is the tongue and it is full of deadly poison and once again we can go back to what i said a little bit earlier how many things have you said that you wish you could have taken back I mean, I mean, it ain't got to be the people that you love, people in your family. It could be strangers on the street or in a store or whatever. And you knew that you came back with a remark that you shouldn't have come back with. Things like that haunt me. They do, and they'll haunt me to my dying day. Praise God, it doesn't affect my salvation. But... You know, there's consequences to our actions. There's consequences to our speech as well. And one of those consequences is that we have the memory of those things. We have the memory of things that we should should or shouldn't have done in certain situations. James says it's, full, uh, it's unruly evil. He doesn't say it's full of unruly evil. He says the tongue is unruly evil. It is an unruly evil and full of deadly poison. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father. And therewith, curse we men, which are made up of the similitude of God. Shame on us for being that way. Shame on us for doing that. I'll tell you a good example of this. uh, When Jesus asked the disciples, he says, Whom do men say that I am? disciples say well some say you're this one some say you're that one he says but whom say ye that I am who do you say that I am Peter pronounces one of the biggest blessings toward Christ in all scripture He says thou art the Christ the son of the living God and he blessed God in saying that and I think if I ain't horribly mistaken it's just three verses later after Jesus says that he's got to be He's got to go to Jerusalem. He's got to be handed over into the hands of sinful men. He's got to be crucified. All these horrible things are going to happen. And what do we see Peter doing? Not so. Be it far from thee. And just on a side note, this ain't got nothing to do with what we're teaching this morning. But I praise God that that scripture's in there that shows me that even though I don't have it all together, and I don't, even though I don't understand it all, and I don't, even though that's the case, I'm still a born-again child of God. I'm still saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't have to understand it all. Peter didn't understand it all, obviously, in that statement. But he blessed God, and then, and like I said, when we read this, term cursing, it doesn't mean using profanity uh, toward necessarily. It means that you're coming against someone. And that's exactly what the scripture there uh, in that account says. It says that Jesus or Peter rebuked Jesus. My goodness. How brazen could somebody be? Peter rebuked Jesus in that. So he blessed God and then he cursed or he come against uh, uh Man and coming against Jesus, uh, all within just a few verses of each other, and folks. Once again, we all guilty of the same thing. Well, anytime, anytime we come against a fellow believer in Christ, whatever it is, I'm talking about fellow believers. I'll call heretics what they are, and, and make no bones about it. I'll call them out by name, and uh, that's not to drive. That's not to drive them down, but I've said before that if I know who the wolf is and I neglect to tell you, then your blood's on my hands if you fall into their ways. If I, if I know who the wolf is or where he's hiding or what he's dressed like or anything else and I do not tell you that, then your blood's on my hands if you if you fall into their teachings. But we're talking about believers in Christ. We're talking about the church congregation. I'm talking about those of a like faith out of here. We don't need to be coming against each other for that. Yes, we should come against heresy. Yes, we should come against false, uh, false teachers. And I saying come against, like, burn their house down. No, call them out to repentance. Call them out to repentance that they might accept the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Embrace that gospel. The same gospel that saved you is able to save them. Amen. But anyway. Uh, there with blessed we God, even the Father, and there with curse we, uh, curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. He tells us what we do, and then he tells us why we shouldn't. Because they're made after the similitude of God, they're made in the likeness of God. I'm not just like God, neither are you. But we're all created in the image of a holy God. All of us were created in the image of God just as Adam uh, was created and the image of God. And so when we're cursing the image of God, then what are we indirectly doing? We're cursing or coming against God himself this is what James is getting at here. Out of, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be, that the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter, Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. He doesn't, James here just keeps a raking, just keeps a raking. He he says, your mouth is doing two different things. Go back to James chapter 1. Where he talks about a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And this is kind of what he's getting at here, saying out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. And he tells us, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. It shouldn't be that way. And why? And, and why shouldn't it be that way? Because us, in in a regenerate state, in a saved state, our very Nature should change now our sin nature is still there. Yes, but we should want to bless others We should want to talk well of others We should not want to drag others through the dirt or through the mire and we certainly shouldn't want to push others back To where God saved them from to begin with We shouldn't want any of these things, but we bless God and we curse men. This would be the same people that uh, I was talking about a little while ago. I know people, I work with people that they talk about going to church on Sunday. My goodness, that, that's the only dose of God that they get throughout the whole week, obviously, from some of the conversations I've heard them have, and some of the things I've heard them say, some of the things that I know that they do because they make no bones about it. People that. Spend Saturday night out at the bars getting drunk and then go to church on Sunday morning. My goodness. Folks, that's what we're getting at here. I understand we're talking about the tongue. We're talking about blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. But, folks, that's living a double life. And you can't do that and expect anything from God. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? I've heard some really smart retorts to these very verses here. Because you can, you can take, uh, uh, take a vine or an olive branch, and you can graft it into a vine. That olive branch will grow and it will produce olives. Off of a vine, off of a grapevine. And you can take an apple tree Branch and graft it into an orange tree, and it will grow and it will produce apples. You can graft it in, but folks, that's that's messy, that's taking something out of the natural course and putting it into something else. You can do those things, yes, but James is saying here, if you've been reborn, if, if you've been reborn, that shouldn't have to happen. The, the engrafted word, which we talked about back in chapter one. It's inside of you. Uh, The Holy Ghost is inside of you. And the Holy Ghost should give you a new nature. It should give you new desires. It should give you new will for your life. Yes, you're still going to have the sin nature about you. We're going to die with that sin nature. I'll go to the grave with that sin nature from from, uh, the original parents, Adam and Eve. Yes, it will always be there. But the Holy Spirit will put new desires in you. And it will put uh, 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 new things in you. Will give you a new attitude. You gave me a new attitude. That's Missy. She was married to me when I got saved. My attitude changed from night and day uh, attitude about the world, attitude about self, attitude about others. And God's still working on that, yes. But uh, my attitude changed a lot. But uh, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? Uh, of course not. Not in the natural course of course of things. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Uh, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? James says no fountain is capable of yielding salt water and fresh and that goes back to what I what I just said. If these things are happening it Very well could be because the person was never regenerated to begin with no fountain No fountain can yield both of those things. It's an impossibility Yes, James is talking about how Christians should act and how those that are saved and professors of Jesus Christ should act. But him saying that no fountain can yield both salt water and fresh, and saying that that's an impossibility uh, kind of tells me that if these things are happening, it very well could be a sign that the person's not regenerated to begin with. So that wraps us up Even with that section.